I am looking forward to interviewing the wonderful Hayley Meeks today. Hayley is a marketer, just like myself. Um, she niches in employee engagement. So we'll talk a little bit about what that means and the, the kind of stuff she gets up to within that. Um, we'll also talk about some of the challenges we have running. You know, we both run marketing agencies. We're both dealing with clients and there's some challenges that come up again and again. So I'm hoping we can have quite an honest conversation about um, at least one of those challenges and compare some notes along the way that might help you if you're listening to this and looking at working with a marketing agency. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited and I know I always say that I'm excited about who I'm interviewing, but I've only known Hayley for a short time. We get on like a house on fire. I think there's going to be some really, really useful bits of information that come out in the conversation. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and wrap up there and let's get into the podcast itself. Hi Hayley, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Hello, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're very, very welcome. I've done a tiny little intro already with um, almost like a hopes and dreams intro, if you like, of what I think we'll end up talking about today and the sorts of the things I can pull out of you. Um, but not everyone's going to know who you are. In honesty, kind of three, six months ago, I didn't know who you were. So um, yeah, just give us a brief kind of who you are, what you do, where your specialism is. Sure, no problem. Um, my name's Hayley. And my company is called Gain Momentum. And we specialize in all aspects of marketing. But what we're most known for is employee engagement, launching health and pharma brands into the market, and working with clients who want to get into schools in an ethical way. So they're the core things that we do. Um, I'm also a speaker and trainer on brand and marketing, and also a mentor for, for other business people. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So people might think it's a bit odd that um, as someone that runs a marketing agency, I would bring a guest in that also runs a marketing agency. But we have kind of different specialisms, don't we? So whereas I'm quite rooted within the social media and the digital space, um, your areas of specialism are kind of that you, you really bridge the gap between the more traditional stuff and kind of like the nuts and bolts of marketing and the, the, the baseline stuff that a lot of people skip over and forget and then end up working with me and I'm trying to backfill and you know the stuff you do is all the like the foundational stuff that you really can't be without. 100% and you know for us it's all about the creativity and helping them just get those as you said those foundations in place so that they can pick the right channels and the right team to take them forward in the marketing. Absolutely so you specialize in employee um, branding and it's employee engagement mm -hmm. okay. and yeah I know all about that you know it's one of those things that's constantly on my radar but I think it's still quite a, a new concept to a lot of businesses, especially um, sort of like smaller businesses, businesses with kind of like that 20 to 30 employees. It's almost like a brand new concept. So do you want to explain sort of what it means, what it is, what your experience have been? Sure. I think the key thing about it is to understand is it's all about the employee's emotional commitment to their employer and the brand's goals. Um, often people think it's quite a fluffy subject, um, but actually there's real psychology behind it. And it's been proven that engaged employees 
offer better productivity, they're less wasteful. Um, businesses that have engaged employees always have more profits. They have positive um, promoters of their brand and their business, people who are happy in their work, who communicate well, who are more innovative and prepared to take risks and to work harder for the business. And also it gives a business sustainable competitive advantage. Um, and we've worked with a lot of clients who have had some significant problems in their business. And by working and understanding the cultural side and the engagement side of their business, have been able to see a real difference, not just to how people feel about them, but also on that bottom line. So just to give you an example of that, uh, we work with a large insurance company based uh, in the UK. And every three months, they were losing 50% of their new startups, which is crazy, right? Because if you imagine the amount of money, the amount of effort it takes to recruit these people in the first place, to train them, to onboard them properly, and then they're walking out the door. Now, this was a heavy call center environment. And what was happening was these people were getting trained up, getting all excited about the role, then realizing that they could earn an extra 10 pence, 25 pence an hour at another call center down the road. And it was all because they didn't understand their role, their purpose within the business. So we were pulled into the company to, to really look at this because they've grown really fast. They've grown from almost like a family concern to having, you know, a four-figure number of staff in their business. And they haven't really looked at this. It was, it's always been seen as a nice-to-do, not, not an essential part. And one of the things we looked at, we looked at the values of the business and cultural fit. That was a really big piece of work. Um, we looked at how the onboarding process was done because what was happening was people were being trained and then kind of set free and there wasn't anyone that they could kind of go to after that three-month process if they still had questions or they were getting stuck. They were kind of like thrown in the deep end. And the whole environment, it was beige walls. It was kind of like that real sort of rabbit hutch feel where each person had their like their their set like their phone and, and that was kind of it. So we really looked at personalizing the environment. We looked at what role model behavior was like. Um, we introduced um, peer-led competitions and peer-led um, appreciation. You know, one of the things that we found out in the focus groups was People said, it's all very well doing all this lovely stuff, but sometimes I just want someone to say thank you when I've done something well or to celebrate successes, so to celebrate the promotions and to celebrate um, really great customer testimonials and great feedback from the customers. So we did a huge amount of work on that, and we pulled it down to 29%, which is kind of average for a call center environment. I mean, at the end of the day, the natural demographic for that means they move quite quickly, but at least it meant that they were they were they were keeping well below the um, the original uh, attrition rate, which was, was insane. 
so, so we get pulled into a lot of projects which are which are quite interesting um we work with a firm of solicitors and they couldn't understand they had they had a number of offices and one of the offices was based in sandbanks which um if you don't know it's a, it's an area on the south coast made famous by a, a certain harry redknapp and it's probably the most expensive real estate per square foot in the country it's probably second only to make it so they were expecting in this legal firm to get a lot of divorce law and family law work and they couldn't understand why they weren't getting any because you know that by the law of averages of the divorce rate they should have been get pulling people in in this area and so we were sent in to kind of investigate what was going on within the business uh, there were some other issues, but what we found was that the people on the front desk in the Sandbanks office didn't know what the other departments did. So they didn't know that family law and divorce law was, was done at one of the other offices. So every time someone came in the door asking them, do you do family and divorce law? They're going, oh no, we don't. Go to the solicitors down the road. And it was like, oh my goodness, it's like an education piece. And, and sometimes it's the simple things, it's really the little things that matter about understanding how, you know, people can, can work for the good of the company and start moving the dialogue from thinking we, so move it from I to we and, and how that would work. So, you know, we currently work with a global entertainment brand um, and we have to think everything in 16 languages. So, and also it's very culturally different. So, you know, the, the clients that we have who are in, in, the, in Asia, for example, have a really different approach to work and to, to, to um, building relationships and say in America or in, or in the UK. So. It's been a really great process for us to kind of understand and get under the skin of their brand. Do you know, the international thing's really interesting for me. So I've always worked with clients within the UK only. We have literally have two clients that have offices overseas as well, that one of which is an international brand, but you know, we only work with the UK arm. And I've always been kind of nervous of working outside of the UK because there are so many things to consider. So it's everything from, and you know, we, we were talking briefly before we, we hit the record button, um, but you know, we were talking about translations. Yeah. And it's not just about actually, you know, having something presented in a different language. It's also, it's all the nuances that go with it. And, um, you know, what, what are kind of, what are the things that people don't think about when they're trying to take things across different continents? I think one of the things that needs to be thought about is a colloquialism and the way we use language, because it's not literally just about translating the words. It's about translating the sense or the emphasis that we're trying to give. So we try to use translators whose first language is the language that they're translating into because too often otherwise things get lost you know we talk we use words all the time 
that have a UK meaning. So, and, and, and sometimes it doesn't translate. So for example, their charity is called Magic Wand. And if you translate that directly in German, it's Vibrator. Always entertaining, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. So if you're using someone where German isn't their first language, they won't think about how they can translate that properly and how they can explain it properly. And you can have some really interesting faux pas. And it's about understanding these cultural differences. So, for example, you know, when we look at doing our photo shoots, we have to be very aware of um, the different things and the, and, and the different nationalities and, and how we can be more all-encompassing. Um, also, certain things that we take for granted in the UK, such as Pride Month, for example, you know, we can't make that a global celebration because in Dubai, you get put into prison if you're gay. We have to take into account some, some local leniency mm. in, in that sense. And also, it's even down to silly things like fonts. Um, you know, one of our clients had a font that had been recommended to them by an agency, but it didn't have any of the international characters in. So it only really worked in languages that were Latin American with no accents or umlauts or the usual um, differences in. So there's a lot of things to consider. It's not just about thinking, oh, great, we've got this great program, we'll just translate it and then set it out to work. I think people, when it comes to their external marketing, they think quite a lot about like the diversity and inclusion stuff and how, how to make their marketing representative, um, you know, for, for that aspect. But when they look at their internal marketing, I think there's two problems. I think, first of all, people don't think about communicating to their employees as marketing within their business. Um, and it's like all these things that we want the outside world to think of us and that perception we want to create. We, we, just, we just assume it's there from an internal perspective as well. And I imagine there's, that's probably where you're, they're probably the two barriers that you're constantly trying to break down, that actually this investment in your internal marketing is probably more important than your external stuff sometimes. Well, I totally agree because in essence, your people are your biggest asset. They are your biggest champions, your biggest advocates, your biggest cheerleaders. But conversely, they can also be your biggest problem. So it's about making sure that they are engaged from the start. And it's about making sure that it goes from leadership down and keeping those channels of communication open. And I think managers need to be held accountable for the engagement within their teams. And, you know, it's a key part of building organisational resilience and making sure that cultural change starts with leadership, that the small things aren't forgotten. Um, you know, simple things like when we work with the insurance company, the MD used to hand out the certificates. And it was, it seems like such a small gesture, but for the person receiving it, it was a big thing. And it's about making sure that, you know, those little things that, make the difference for employees aren't lost you know those tiny gestures those 
you know that that communication channel isn't cut in any way and also we find that some of the best suggestions that we get come from the most unexpected sources um, we were working with a big petrochemicals company and one of the tanker drivers said if your departments could just talk to each other and arrange my route better i could do two extra deliveries every day and it was like oh what a you know it's kind of obvious when you think about it but it took somebody to kind of spell out the difference and you know employees engaged employees are such an asset to that business and you know we we see it again and again how these key people become such champions um and it's so so important so if someone was listening to this and they let's say their, their business has sort of grown exponentially and that they suddenly find themselves with a team of you know they, they kind of look out across the open plan office and there's 50 you know 50 people in in seats kind of thing and they've not really thought about employee engagement before where what are the kind of what's the starting point what's what's the first thing they need to do other than ring you of course <laughs> I think often it's about understanding where you are now. Um, people are often really frightened to ask people their opinion. And I would probably start with just an employee survey, anonymously, obviously, just to get a sense of where the land lies, where they feel the strengths and weaknesses of the business are. Often, um, a business owner creates this fantastic set of values, um, puts them on the wall or has them in their head, and that's all that, all that ever happens. And it's like it becomes a poster on the wall, not a way of life. And I think by starting, by under, letting the employees have their say, involving employees from different departments, in um, creating values and things to live by and, and building up the culture, Under, getting them to understand their purpose within the business. I mean, one of the things that we did in the insurance company was we put big signs over all the doors saying, congratulations, that's another thousand people you've had to choose this business today. So they understood the part that they play in the business. Um, and I think, too often people focus when they're hiring on skills and don't get me wrong that's really important but actually it's about culture as well and building a team that has got the same mindset now they can be diverse as people but they're all pulling in the same direction yeah the mindset piece is really you know that that's where that kind of you know the trickle down from from sort of the the top leaders all the way through is so so important mm. um you reminded me of something that i've forgotten so my, in my previous life i was working in hospitality um i was a um like a, a manager of a conference center if you like okay mm -hmm. and the 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 big wig the chairman of the of the hotel group at christmas would do his trip around all the hotels in the UK. Um, and at one point it was bought by a, an international brand. So say an international brand. 
yeah, it was international. Um, so the you know the the top dog, if you like, would start his um, his Christmas his winter tour where he would go around every single hotel in the hotel group, and basically he would walk through the hotel shaking hands with as many employees as possible. And that was kind of like your, that's the only time you ever saw this person. And you can imagine, you know, the, the, in the week leading up to this visit, it was like everything was cleaned 20,000 times. You'd have, you know, it's like, you know, if you knew that your hotel was getting visited, you know, in the December, then, you know, that year you splashed out on your Christmas decorations. And so it actually, it wasn't about the employees being thanked. It was about this guy doing his tour and getting his photos with the, in his spectacular hotels, with you know, and it it kind of really took away from the moment. And it's funny that people put all this effort into these kind of empty gestures and think yeah. that they're ticking a box. But yeah, I'd completely forgotten about that. And, and I think you know, there's you know, when you when you look at the way that people. People want to be appreciated mm. fundamentally. They want to feel that they're adding value, that they're doing a good job, that they're recognised, that there is some form of career progression, that they're being paid what they deserve. And obviously that's always a slight bone of contention, but it, it's those additional bits that you can add. You know, it's like, what else can you give? It doesn't necessarily have to be financial. Um, we used to reward people with time back. So, you know, if someone had done a really good job and had worked over and above, they'd get a half day off or they'd get an extra two-hour lie-in or, or whatever. You don't have to make it all about money. It's about being appreciated. And the thing is, if you don't put that effort into showing that appreciation, you'll never find out what those triggers are. Yeah. Never, ever, ever. So it's, you know, it's, it's, and it can be, it can be something that seems like the silliest thing could be the biggest reward. Yeah. So um, one of the things I haven't done yet that is on my list to do, um, Emily that works for me. Yeah. Um, with me, I should say, I stamp on my own foot every time I say for me. I don't like that. I don't think it's, I don't know why I say it that way. Um, so Emily that works with me, we were talking, this is probably about a year ago, possibly longer. Um, and she was talking about this hairdresser in London and how much it was to have an appointment, but look how beautifully she does hair. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to have my hair done there one day. And it was just a throwaway comment, but I was like, you know, as soon as I can, you know, that's going to be her gift. You know, and she doesn't know that. And if she listens to this, I'll have spoiled it. But, you know, it's kind of, it's like, actually, there's, that's that thing. That's that thing that would be the ultimate. I, I can tell her I appreciate her. I can put bottles of gin in the post to a halfway through lockdown to say, you know, thanks and, and the rest of it. But actually, if you can find that one thing that would really make the difference, that one experience that they, that is actually, it's, you know, it's, it's outside of their world. It's out of their circle of normality, or it might be that it, it just releases the pressure for them. It, it is. And it is. It's the little things. It's like we used to, um, do luxury lifestyle magazines. So I'd get all of these phone calls as the editor and they'd say, 
how do you fancy a Lamborghini track day? It's not really my cup of tea, you know. Um, and, and the only reason I say that is, is I am not the most confident driver. But one of my designers was his dream to drive a Lamborghini on a track day. So it was perfect. So I said, how do you fancy a day out of the office driving a Lamborghini around a track? And he's like, you're kidding me. And it's like <laughs> these things that you can give, which for you are so, uh, it's, it's, it's not even a stretch, but the advantage for them, the actual benefit, and he came back and he was buzzing. Mm-hmm. And it's these, as I said, it's, it's silly things. It's always those little gestures that make such a difference. And remembering the fact that you remembered that that's what she likes and that's what she is her dream is so key. Do you know, and I think sometimes as, as leads, we have, to, we have to own when we're a bit crap. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, they all know when it comes to birthdays and things like that, you know, it, it's so I'll pick on Emily again. We have this ongoing joke that she doesn't trust me. <laughs> so when she goes on holiday and she needs to ask people to do stuff, she never asks me to do anything because she doesn't trust me to do it. You know, it, it will never happen if I ask Christina to do it. That's the joke. Obviously, yeah. we don't quite operate that way. Yeah, but when it, when it comes to like um, birthdays and things like that, I can make a lot of decisions on a lot of things and hard decisions, but get me to choose which bunch of flowers to buy someone for their birthday. It's going to go on for three weeks. You know, it's like, it's just not, so, you know, we have our in jokes and everyone kind of knows, we don't know, it's not that we know each other's weaknesses, but they all know mine. Yeah. We joke about myself. So as a leader, it's like, actually, I'm not perfect. No. And it's okay to not be perfect. We've all got the things that we are fantastic at. So let's use those skills and everyone else can kind of step, step in for everyone else. But I think part of that for me as being a leader is I need to be able to kind of get that feedback from them. And we're, as a business, we're, we're a reasonable sized team, but as a head office team, um, there's four of us. Mm. So actually, if I want feedback from the other three, that's going to allow me to be a, a better leader, I can't send out a survey. No. You know, it doesn't matter how anonymous it is. I'm going to know, like, you know, Mark said that and Jane, that, that one's clearly Jane. Mm. So it actually becomes quite tricky. And I think even if you are in a bigger, bigger business and you, you, you're going to have a smaller leadership team that you're part of and you need to be able to get that feedback at every point up the chain to be able to make sure, you know, as much as, the, as, much as everything's got to be driven from the top, if we want to get it right and make it better, we've got to have that information come from the bottom and up step by step. So, so think about my situation when I've, you know, I've just got those few people, what kind of strategies can you put in place then that are going to be, be useful and help you kind of pull out those things that can help your business to be better and help you to be better as a leader? I and I and I think it I think it's it's a really worthwhile one. And I think when I had a bigger team, I was often guilty of almost tunnel vision where they were concerned, thinking everything's great, everything's fine, everything's wonderful. And I was really blessed because I had a great group of people 
And in the nearly 10 years we were operating, I lost only two people to other positions locally. If anybody left, they generally went to London. And as we were on the South Coast, any designer worth their salt generally has done a stint in London. Um, but it's difficult sometimes because the smaller the group, the less they want to feel that they can step out the box. Mm. And the less they feel that they want to kind of put their foot in it. And I mean, I take it back to something my sister did in her class at school. My sister's a teacher, a primary teacher. And uh, she handed out these little cards to her kids and said, what is the one thing you wish your teacher should know? And she said to me, she said, it was probably the hardest thing she has ever done with reading them back because some of the children's experiences were quite hard. And one of them was, one of the kids had put, I wish my teacher knows that sometimes things are so bad at home, I can't always concentrate on my work. Right. Which is, and, and, but actually she said, it really brought her to a greater understanding of the team. And then the other way you can do it is, is to just give them that forum to be able to speak, even if they feel that they have to do the, well, I wish my boss really knew. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, with, with you know, almost like an amnesty, a sort of an amnesty where say everything you like, but we need to get this out. Because often you can sense an undercurrent, but you don't quite know why. Yeah, I think, do you know, we're such a, we're such a good team. Mm. You know, but some, you know, when you've got a good team, you don't want to lose that. Yeah. So it's not like you want, it's not about wanting to break what isn't broken. It's just that, you know, you, even when everything's great, you still want stuff to come out so that you can be greater. Yeah. You know, you, you, you want your best to become better. And, and I think yeah. that's the thing where it becomes a little bit tricky sometimes that I, I just think because we're so close knit that I like to think that I actively listen, but it's easy for me to say that I do. Yeah. And also we, we often think things that aren't necessarily true. It's like with the petrochemicals company, the operations director said, Oh, all these staff are going to tell me that the problem is communication top to bottom. And what came back from the survey was, Communication top to bottom is good, but from department to department, so sideways was terrible. Mm. And actually, it isn't often what we see, it's how people feel. And, you know, we, we did that in terms of, by looking at it from a client perspective, by using net promoter scores, which is essentially asking clients two questions. It's how happy are you with the service that we offer to you? And that's obviously out of 10, with obviously 10 being fantastic and further down the line not being so good. And how likely are you to recommend this to a friend or a colleague? And again, you get a lot more out of that than you, than you would. And, and we ask them to give specific examples. And they give you a lot of things that you think, oh, we're really good at that. And 
the other way is you think, yeah, we're not been so good at that. <laughs> and and maybe and maybe that that's how to do it is to almost say out of ten, how good do you think I we are at listening or how good do you think we are about following through on what we promise? Or, you know, think about the questions that you can ask them and get them to mark it out of 10 mm. and then have some kind of discussion. Yeah, cool. Okay, so another thing I wanted to ask you about. So, um, yeah, again, we're both, we're both running marketing agencies. So we have clients come to us and we tell them about the fantastic things we can do. And then they say, okay, what's the ROI? Okay. When will I see a return? And, you know, I've got this thing where people see marketing as a cost rather than an an investment. Yeah. So I thought I'd just open the conversation up to that a a little bit. So like, how do you approach that? Well, I think, you know, you go back to how it used to be. If you look at the famous John Wanamaker quote, 50% of my advertising is wasted if only I knew which half. Nowadays, we don't have that excuse. Marketing should work like the best cash point in the world. You put £10 in, you get 20 out, or, or whatever your, your metric is. And I think it's because people aren't, aren't necessarily measuring the right things or not understanding that sometimes a campaign takes time. And I think... Things like KPIs, the key performance indicators, aren't set out from the start. Um, I don't know about you, but I've had clients come to me who've had a, shall we say, a poor experience at another agency. No names mentioned to protect the guilty. (laughs) But they come to you and their expectations of how an agency works and, and, and what they bring to the table have often been skewed by the fact that they've been promised certain deliverables or, or certain returns that just haven't been there. Um, and so, you know, for me, it, it, it's very clear from the outset that we agree which channels we're going to be measuring and what metrics equal success. Because it's all very well saying, you know, what's a return on investment? But if you're, a, if you're trying to measure um, an increase in brand awareness it's not something tangible that you can grasp it's like and it's not something you can put a value on either not really 100 percent. but you know if you're measuring things like lead conversion if you're me- measuring things like click-through rates if you're measuring likes engagement increased numbers of of um, followers there's lots of things that you can measure, which will give you that return on investment, but it, but it has to be really, really clear what you're measuring before you start, because what does return on investment look like to them? Because often they'll be saying, I only want to spend this much, but they're expecting this massive return on investment. And there needs to be a, a clear conversation at that front end, I think. Absolutely. I think it's managing, from from an agency perspective, it's about managing expectations. Yeah, 100%. But if I were to put myself in the position of a client, Mm. you know, clients don't ask us enough what they need to be doing to make this a a success. 
Absolutely. You know? And yes, you know, as a as the agency, I need to educate the client so that they know that. Mm. Um, and, and I need to reinforce that learning as well as if I it was, you know, I was training an employee, you know, it's so that it's that's really, really important. But I think it is a people enter the into these agreements thinking, I'm gonna spend that money and then I'm gonna see it come back in on my bottom line with a bit of extra on top. And nothing, you know, I don't need to do anything in between, my hands can be off. Mm. And in reality, if you want a marketing campaign to work that you are outsourcing. If you take your hands off it, it won't work. There's no way for it to work because that external agency is always going to be stabbing in the dark. 100%. And I I think too many people think that that what we do is some kind of dark art and that there's there's some kind of little spell we cast and, and this equals that. And then you'll say to them, right, okay, we need you to do this bit. And they're like almost a bit shocked. Yeah. And often it's the reason that things aren't necessarily working for them is um, they, might, they might be asking you to look after their social, for example, but then their landing pages and websites are so poor that you're, not, you're getting the people to the page, but you're then not getting the conversions. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of... Um, expectations that you're going to perform some kind of miracle or they don't know their audience and their customer avatar well enough and they they haven't understood what the key messages are that their clients need to hear those pains and gains that we talk about um or they've got a product and we've had this before i had a, a, a prospect come to me and she had a product and it didn't take a rocket science to realize that her product wouldn't work. Knowing the health and pharma business that we do, the product wasn't going to sell. The price point for the product, this product was what I call a, it's a stocking filler type gift. Okay. And it was priced too high for the market. And I said, I can't, I won't name the product because it wouldn't be fair, but we could see instantly the problem with this product was the price was too high. It was an over-engineered solution for something that was quite simple. And she didn't have her avatar right. And before you start, you've kind of got to have those basics in place. Do you know, it's so... I think the thing is, people kind of, they get they get so far into something before they realize they've skipped those early steps. And then I find my, when I think about putting a a marketing campaign together, okay, Mm. my ideal client would have worked with someone like yourself already. So you've got that whole strategy in place. Now you need to bring people in that are specialists in delivering that element of the strategy. So it's not that I won't do strategy with a client, We, we do, but it's not at the same level that you would, you would do it with your clients and put those marketing, that big meaty marketing plans together. But what happens is they come to us and like, you know, we need to sell this to this person. Okay. Who is that person? Well, they're everyone. Everyone can buy this. Everyone can use this product. Okay. So what you're telling me is actually we've got multiple avatars. There's a few different personas we need to attack. So let's try and let's do some work to figure out who those people are. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's like I said, it's like I'm going back and kind of, you know, filling in the gaps. But it's really hard when you come across a client where because they haven't done that bit, they've now invested all this time and effort in a product that they're really, really passionate about, that they're convinced is going to work. And you can just see holes in it everywhere. Yeah. And we have to deliver that bad news. That's the worst bit. It's like the whole Dragon's Den type experience where someone has come up with they think is going to be a revolutionary beauty brand and you're saying to them to even scratch the surface you're going to need to spend and, and you know you can a crazy amount an absolute crazy amount or they'll say i've got a budget of this and i want to be on tv and you're like let's get the basics in place you, you cannot in this stage afford to be on tv but we also have the same with clients who say, I want to be in all the major multiples. I want to be in the Tesco's, the Sainsbury's, the Boots. And you're saying, okay, so how much are you um, prepared when you think Holland and Barrett, for example, who do you think pays for all those penny promotions? It's not the retailer. It's the, it's the supplier. You know, if you go into Boots, who do you think is paying for all that point of sale? Who do you think is um, covering the advertising costs for this? Mm -hmm. And so many people have got unrealistic un um, expectations before they even start. And you, you've kind of got to say, well, if you need to have this amount of money to be able to deal with these people in the first place. There's a big reliance. So like I said, I, I deal with SMEs mm. and, you know, the, 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 the smaller end of the market as well okay so like my ideal clients for me were kind of looking 30 30 to 50 employees as a maximum mm -hmm. okay but there's a lot of reliance when they come to an agency to make a lot of decisions for them they're putting their trust in us to make these decisions and even down to how much money they should be spending so they'll come to us with something say, well, we can put a campaign together, we can put a strategy in place, we can create a funnel and we're going to do some Facebook ads here and we're going to do a bit of email marketing there and, you know, and create this kind of journey for our prospects to go through. But at the end of the day, when it comes to deciding how much budget you've got to be able to spend on something, as an agency, we can't decide that for you. Of course. And it's about understanding silly things like the customer lifetime value. How much can you give to your, your acquisition of a customer if you don't know what the customer lifetime value is? Um, if you've got a, what is your product staircase looking like? So, you know, how much is the value of your product? Is this a product that's a repeat purchase? Is it a one-off? You know, what's the upsells? There's so many more questions than, than answers when you start with that relationship. Um, I did some work with a, um, an animal charity and um, it was a, a Christmas campaign that we, we ran a few years on, on the trot, basically. Mm. Um, and essentially they wanted donation, a specific level of donation that was like a, a pocket money donation and part of the idea behind this was that they would, could kind of capture the interest of this the supporters of the future 
Okay. okay. So, you know, we kind of, we'd get the, the teenagers on Instagram and, you know, they might make that donation of that pocket money fee, but, you know, in the next five to 10 years, they will become the kind of sort of, you know, person that's got a monthly direct debit going out, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, when we measured the results of this campaign that was highly successful, the thing we wanted people to buy, we had very, very limited sales on. Okay. Because people didn't want to spend £5.50. They went into basically a part of the landing page. There was a link to the e-commerce site where they could buy branded products, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So rather than spend that one fee, they'd go through to the shop and they'd buy a £15 soft toy or a you know 10 packs of christmas cards or you know whatever it might be so actually financially this campaign was massive had some really really big results um you know pounds in pounds out it, it, it was amazing really successful but actually in terms of what they wanted to achieve it was very specific we wanted this particular <laughs> this one particular donation to happen the results were actually quite disappointing now, luckily, we went into this campaign kind of saying, actually, this is something we're doing for the first time. We don't know how it's going to work. Um, it's going to be a test project. So as long as we break even on it, we're, we're going to be happy. And I kind of said, you know, the value of this donation, if a child goes to their parent and says, I want to do this and it's for charity, in order to encourage that kind of um, giving behavior the parent is going to do more or they're going to do the donation and buy something so the child's got something to show for the the, the good that they've they've done mm -hmm. and it was really interesting that we put this campaign together and we knew other things there would be other outputs of this campaign and we kind of prepped the client for that beforehand but then when the results came through and we learned all this other stuff we had so much data to work with from an ROI perspective, that campaign worked really well. But actually what they were trying to achieve didn't happen. So we kind of had, you know, sometimes you can get really varying results. And even if you, you know specifically what you want to get out of the campaign, I think you have to be quite sort of open to, to everything else that happens around it. Totally agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen is that if you know your customer avatar and you've done that research, you, they would have seen that that would be the natural outcome. And I think often, you know, as agencies, we have to make assumptions based on what the client is, is telling us. And, and sometimes we find that that can work slightly differently. Um, but but also but also you know we've worked with animal charities and we've done a lot of work with them and getting uh, resources into schools and getting because what they a lot of the char animal charities particularly have realised as you as you hinted there is that their current donators are without being rude are getting older and older and uh, they're getting a lot more in wills than they are necessarily in donations. Um, and it is about getting getting the next generation to, to buy into them and, and, you know, 
we've always found that certain age groups of, of young people and children and young people are much more prevalent to um, to starting that starting that that cycle. But it you know at the end of the day, as you said, the campaign was a success financially. It was incredibly successful, and they'll be able to adjust that with you next time to make it even bigger. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. But like I said, it, I think it is. It's, you, you just have to be aware that what you, what you plan to get out of something might be something completely different and, and better. 100%. But it is, as marketers, our job is to, we have to guess, we have to judge, and actually, the more often we're wrong, the better the result is at the out the outcome. Sure. The more opportunities we have to kind of like adjust and correct, and the better the output is. And I think this is where the there's something you mentioned earlier. This is where the time thing comes into play. There's no quick fix with marketing. Mm. There really, really isn't. A hundred percent. And I think also, I think you know, with, with marketing, it isn't an exact science. You know, it, it's not a funds in, funds out. There are certain parameters that it works with, but, you know, and you, you've got prior knowledge, you've got experience, you've got various other things that you can add to the mix. But fundamentally, when you start working with a new client, there is a degree of that trial and error. Completely, completely. Hayley, this has been fantastic. Some really, really interesting points in there. Um, I, I love talking to you and I, I have to admit, I've got lots of clocks around to make sure that we don't just talk for hours and hours on end like we normally do. So I think <laughs> I'm, I'm going to draw things to a closer because already in my head, there's like four different things I want to ask you, but I'm thinking let's leave it there um, so that we don't overwhelm everyone. And then we, we can have another chat in the future. That'd be fantastic. Definitely. Absolutely fantastic. So if people want to get hold of you, reach out to you, that kind of thing, where are we going to send them to? Sure. Uh, I have a website, which is hayleymeeks.co.uk, um, and that's Meeks is spelled M-E-A-K-E-S. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. There's um, my Hayley Meeks business page or also on LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out and it'd be great to hear from people. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Hayley. You've been You're fantastic. Welcome. Thank you for having me.